good morning to all of you. I'm not sure why I found it so challenging to, to think on this subject. Um, but I uh, want to share some this morning on, um, on remembering. A lot of different things we could talk about when it comes to communion time. Um, you know, certainly there's something that happens with the bread and with the, um, with the wine or the juice that um, we don't believe actually changes into the bread and, I'm sorry, into the body and blood of Christ, but it's something that's important for us to do. And I don't understand all of that. Um, I've been looking at some photos recently and um, things from the past and, and thinking about memory. And there are things that come back to my mind, stories that I hadn't thought of for a long time. Um, and if you um, scrapbook or if you have somebody in your life who scrapbooks and you open up those albums, sometimes there's things that come back to you when you look at those pictures or you watch a video from a long time ago and you think, wow, um, I, I hadn't thought about that. That trip was something that was really special at the time, and yet it, it just kind of goes. Um, I remember learning the times tables, and for some reason or other, the seven times tables were really hard for me, and I just kept forgetting them. And um, I remember somebody... Uh, um, saying to me, can't you remember the seven times? And trying to, to get me to remember. And you know, the more you, you scold somebody for not remembering, the less well they do at remembering. Um, think of a famous event that happened in your lifetime and where you were at the time. So some of you older ones may remember when you heard that JFK was shot. Um, maybe you heard about when the Challenger blew up, or 9-11. Um, and if you think back, you can picture where you were at in that time. What was going through your mind, through your heart, when you heard that news? And it meant something really big to you. And how well can you convey that to somebody else? I don't think we can do a very good job of conveying these kinds of things. We... For us, it's, it's still kind of fresh. We think back on it and we can picture our hearts and our minds when we're going through this um, thing. And yet, we also know that there are people who, um, who deny all sorts of things. Um, who say that the Holocaust wasn't real. That um, I even read that somebody said that Helen Keller wasn't really deaf and blind, that she was just putting it on and she was a fake. You know? And it's like, okay, that's interesting, I guess. Um, and I don't even know, like, you know, is there like a, a site you can go to on the internet that will um, prove that Helen Keller really is deaf and blind? It seems like um, probably, probably people just have to take some things on faith. Um, and yet our, our human tendency is to forget. Things that happen in our lifetime are important and things that happened before we were born just really are ancient history, even if they happened just a couple of years before we came on the scene. And it seems as though the Jewish people, at least before the Babylonian captivity, had a constant cycle of remembering and forgetting. And you can see this in the book of Judges. Um, in Judges, it's blamed on the fact that there was no king in Israel and everyone did, did what was right in his own eyes. Um, but it seems clear that the issue wasn't the lack of a king, because even after they got a king, people still did not, um, they didn't do a good job of remembering. And there was this cycle. 
And so the issue with a lack of relationship with God and a lack of teaching um, from one generation to the next. And we say, well, you know, Christians are different. We are much better at transmitting what we believe and why we believe it to to those who come after. Um, And the answer is, no, we aren't. We do a very bad job of this. We do a good job of transmitting traditions and rituals and all kinds of things, but we don't always do a good job of explaining the why. And if you look back, the early church was pretty strong, but there's a long period of time where Christianity was a fringe, a few people at most. They did a good job of keeping the Bible around, but between, let's say, 300, whenever Constantine uh, made Christianity legal, and the Reformation, there was a pretty downtime as far as the church went. And even today, there are a lot of people who are Christian because their parents and grandparents are Christian and not because they have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I want to look back into the Old Testament a little bit and think about what they did to try to maintain their identity and their relationship with God and then look forward to what we are doing this morning and why it is important. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read the first 17 verses. This is a long passage, um, and it's, um, it's talking about the Passover. And we know that the Passover is looking forward to Jesus' death. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways in which it did that. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. So this is going to be the start of the Jewish New Year. They are, from this point forward, going to celebrate uh, New Year's Day um, at this time of Passover. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month that every family shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what you can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ready to go. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses, 
If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. We know this is happening in Egypt. Israel had been slaves. They had no control. And, and uh, Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And all the different plagues came down and, and just wrecked havoc on Egypt. It was not the same after all these plagues afflicted. And there's one final plague. And this plague was going to kill all of the firstborn sons from the highest in the land, the house of Pharaoh, all the way to the lowest slaves. And it was going to affect the animals too. So it was not just a limited kind of thing. There was going to be horrible death through Egypt. And this passage makes it clear that this plague would affect the Israelites too, unless they did what was commanded. The angel of death did not pass over homes based on heredity um, or based on fulfillment of the law, which wasn't even given yet. And so we understand here that there are certain aspects of the Lord's Supper that are um, looked forward to um, in this celebration. Um, So, first of all, maybe I mentioned it, but understanding that heredity was not important. So death was going to come on all the people, on all the houses in, in Egypt, regardless of who the parents were. And what was going to be the difference was the Israelites' willingness to take part in this ritual involving blood and the death of a lamb. And I think the, the understanding here is that if the Egyptians had done this, they too would have been spared. And we are not different, are we? Looking forward, we are passed over not because of our parents or because of the church we attend, but because of our willingness to accept the death of the Lamb. Second thing is the elimination of leaven or yeast prior to the Passover. And um, even to this day, the Orthodox Jewish people are extremely careful in this regard. They will eliminate every single bit of bread, anything in their house that has yeast in it. And the reason why is because this is a type of sin. It's not that we can eradicate sin from our lives, but the idea is that we want to be as pure as possible before God. And I think about this in reference to our council meeting. Um, The point is not that we're perfect, as Milo shared, um, but that we want to be as close to Jesus as possible when we are celebrating something as special as the blood and body of Christ. Um, The significance of the blood. The blood over the door in the Passover caused the angel of death to ignore the house. Uh, We know that Jesus' blood is what gives us life. Hebrews 9.22 quotes the Old Testament saying, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so in this case, the lamb is dying for the members of the house. They would have to die without this lamb's death. And yet because this lamb died, 
they do not die. And we know the death of the Lamb did not truly atone for sin, um, but it was pointing forward to Jesus and his death and suffering. So in the death of the Lamb, obviously we see a type of Jesus, don't we? It's to be a young Lamb. It's to be perfect, blameless, without any spot. And in the same way, that's what Jesus is, isn't he? He's perfect in a way that we cannot be, in a way that the the Passover lamb could not be. Um, And he is dying in our place. And then we see what comes afterwards. Freedom. The Passover was the final straw in the battle between God and the idols of Egypt. It wasn't really a battle between God and Pharaoh, was it? It was between God and all of this, this terrible stuff that they, that they idolized in Egypt. And they were finally released from that. And in the same way, Jesus, through his death, frees us from the bondage of sin and death. And we see here Jesus' final victory over Satan. This is the Appomattox of Jesus' battle. And Satan, throughout Jesus' ministry, was constantly tempting Jesus, trying to get him to fall. But here at last, Jesus had taken the road to the cross and won the ultimate victory. Now the only question is whether we take advantage of that. And then the path before was clear. So it wasn't just about freedom, it was also about a path that was leading somewhere. And for the Israelites, the path led to the Red Sea and to another miracle. And then after that, where? To Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And we understand that this is leading away from Egypt or a type of the world, and it's leading to a place of holiness. And for us, when we accept Christ's blood, the path before us must lead to holiness, to holy living too. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The servants must follow their master. And this means cross-bearing, self-denial on the path of holiness. And so Satan constantly wants to get us off track. He wants to get us to focus on other things and, and to lose track of this. And here at the end, what's the last word that we read in the King James Version? I don't know about other versions. It is that they were to observe the Passover forever. And it's clearly the reason why they needed to do this. It's because their memories were short. Yes, the people who had lived through that Passover, who had seen the death and destruction in Egypt, who knew what it was like to be a slave and who had been freed would remember. And maybe their children and their children's children remember. But what would happen generations and generations down the road? And we know that they not only had a tendency to forget, they did forget. And so our memories are short. I, I was thinking on this subject, and, um, and I was thinking about dementia. You all probably know some people, maybe you have family, who, who are struggling with memories. Um, we do these Medicare exams um, in our office, and uh, one of the things that we do is uh, we, um, we tell patients to draw clocks and to set the hands of the clock at 11.10. And, um, Unfortunately, as, as people get older, sometimes their clocks get more interesting. Um, and, um, and it seems like a simple thing, and yet not everybody can do it. Uh, 
I, I, I had one older patient who um, started at the top and, and wrote one and then just kept going on around until they got to about 20-something, and then they ran out of space. They said, well, I guess I'm done now. And they were. I mean, that's, that's the best they could do. Um, and so when people are struggling with their memory, there's a constant repetition. There's stories that are repeated over. There's questions. Where's, where's dad at? When, when can I go home? Um, but, you know, it's not just older people that forget. Uh, if my wife sends me to the store without a list, uh, it's no telling what I'll come home with. Um, there'll be wonderful things, I'm sure, but they're not necessarily the things she sent me to the store for. Um, Psalm 137.436 asks the question, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This was a psalm written in Babylon after the captivity. These were people who were far from home. And the question was, how well could they remember Zion? And I think the reason why the Jewish people have been able to maintain their identity in all the different lands where they have been taken is because they do hold these things. They pass on things through Passover, through Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, none of the other cultures that were present at that time truly exist in the way that they did back then. The Ammonites, the Moabites, even the Babylonians don't exist as a people, as a culture. And Christians need to remember this too. It's not that we need to remember a particular language or, you know, Gladys, you know, we're, we're in Montana and we, you know, you know, we pray, oh Lord, please help me to remember Gladys, remember my roots and remember the place where um, I found the Lord. Well, no, that's, that's not what it is. But whatever language, whatever country we're in, whatever place we find ourselves in, we need to remember the God we serve and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And we forget for many reasons. There are things that distract us, time passes, we get older, and our memories just don't work as well. So how do we remember? It seems to me that people try to remember in a couple of different ways. Um, one thing is art. So great artists have, have tried to draw some of the great battles in time, and you go into an art gallery, you see pictures that are, um, that are I guess, remembrances of things. And often the pictures last longer than the memories of the particular event that they're trying to commemorate. Um, people um, sculpt statues that portray great men in different events. Um, there are musical pieces that are written to try to, to remember things. Um, in literature, you find people who write books, um, fiction and nonfiction, that talk about great events and um, and as I was thinking about this, there was a poem that came to my mind that um, Rudyard Kipling wrote. And maybe you all heard this poem, um, but it really struck me. Um, Queen Victoria was getting ready to celebrate her jubilee, her 50th year on the throne. And this was a big deal. I, I think Queen Elizabeth, the current queen, um, has been reigning longer than that. So this has been passed up. But at the time, it was the longest anybody, any English monarch had reigned. And so... People were supposed to write special poems and different things to commemorate this. And um, Roger Kipling um, decided to write something. And um, 
and he called it recessional. It's not a, it's not an upbeat poem. It's not something that you would think about saying, you know, um, you know, God continue to bless us for being a great empire and ruling over the land. Um, but I think it has a little bit of a message. Goes God of our fathers, known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. The tumult in the shouting's eyes, the captains and the kings depart, still stands thine ancient sacrifice, and humble and the contrite heart. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Far called, our navies melt away, on dune and headland sinks the fire. Lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh entire. Judge of the nation, spare us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. If drunk with sight of power, we lose wild tongues that have not thee in awe. Such boasting as the Gentiles use were left to breathe without the law. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. For heathen heart that puts her trust in reaching to the iron shard, all valiant dust that builds on dust and guarding calls not thee to guard for frantic boast and foolish words. Thy mercy on thy people, Lord. And I think that all empires will someday melt away. But we need to remember a humble and a contrite heart. Joshua 24, 29-31 says, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun died, being 110 years old, and they buried him. And then skipping a verse, And Israel served the Lord all of the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. And so we see that people remembered two generations, and then came the judges. It didn't last. So I'm going to jump forward a few years here to the time of Hezekiah. This is hundreds of years later. Second Chronicles chapter 30, and we're going to read the first three verses, and then verses 26 and 27 from there. So this is talking about the Passover in the time of Hezekiah. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at the time because the priests had not yet consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And we're jumping forward to verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayers came to his holy habitation in heaven. And we don't know what happened here, but something happened. It says, basically, that the people kept the Passover up until the time of Solomon, and then what? We don't know. Did some of the individual people keep the Passover by themselves, and some of the people didn't? It's hard to say, isn't it? All we know for sure is that it says that there was no Passover like this for years and years, over a hundred years. 
And there were some good kings in there. There was King Asa and King um, Jehoshaphat. You know, they, they weren't all evil kings, but for some reason or another, they just didn't think this Passover thing was that big a deal. Later on, in the time of Josiah, it says when he kept the Passover, that no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and Levites and all Judah and all Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah. This Passover was kept. It certainly comes across that the people were not celebrating the Passover most of the time and that it wasn't a big deal if they did celebrate it. Um, and we see the shock that Josiah had when the, when the book of the law was found in the temple. It just shook him to his core. He did not understand what this whole thing was, but he knew that somehow it had been neglected. And so let's, let's come forward to the Lord's table, to what we're celebrating today. 1 Corinthians 11 this is a very familiar passage. For I, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think we can think of many different things when it comes to communion, but the most important thing this morning is that we remember. Every year, 4th of July, there's a big celebration. People shoot off fireworks. Um, some people shoot off their hands as well or... or get bad burns and they show up at the ER. Uh, but I don't know how well they do it at kind of conveying what the whole point of Fourth of July is. I don't think most people read the Declaration of Independence except down at Patrick Henry and uh, they do sometimes. You know. um, but most of the time people just, they just blow stuff up and then they, and then they uh, think about how wonderful it was that they had a day off from work. Um, and maybe the 4th of July helps people to remember, but I think just doing something like that without an accompanying message with it loses something. So what are we to remember when we come to the Lord's Supper? Two things. What Jesus did and why he did it. What did he do? Well, he suffered. We know that there was mental anguish. We see that in the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22:44 says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And we know that Jesus did not really want to go to the cross. He loved us enough that he was willing to do that. But it wasn't something that his flesh wanted to do. And it's hard to imagine the mental torture that he was experiencing in these hours leading up to the crucifixion. He experienced lies being spoken against him. And we know that Jesus always spoke with honesty and integrity. Um, but it says that now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. 
Even though many false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. He dealt with loneliness and with abandonment. Matthew 26, 55 and 56 says, In that same hour said Jesus to the multitude, Are you come out against, as against the thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples were stricken and fled. And Jesus was alone here. He was giving his all to those who followed him, and they all left him. And he had a terrible torture all through the next day. He's already tired. He's been kept up all night, sent from one place to another. We know that he endured beating, scourging, a crown of thorns. And we understand how brutal this was to him, that he was unable to carry the cross beam of his cross. Jesus was a strong man. He was a carpenter's son. He was somebody who had walked up and down through Israel. And on a normal day, he could have carried a cross beam as far as he needed to. But physically, he was spent. He could hardly get to Golgotha on his own. And he had to have somebody carry that for him. The crucifixion itself was torture. And it's telling that when the soldier went to check on the status of the of the criminals who were being crucified, he came to Jesus, and Jesus was already dead. And crucifixion would normally take hours and hours and hours to kill somebody. He thrust in the side of his, um, in Jesus' side, a spear, and out came blood and water. And this is a sign that Jesus had a pleural or a pericardial fusion. He had heart failure. His heart was no longer pumping. It just gave out. And for a 30-year-old person to go into heart failure is very unusual. But clearly, he was just under such physical pain and torture that, that his body shut down. He had a, he had a mortal body. It was, he was all God and all human. And yet, with his final cry, it is finished. It speaks to the fact that the price of sin and death was finally paid for. He could not pay this price. And so we know it was the love that he had for us that brought him to the cross. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John fifteen thirteen: Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I don't think we can understand the depth of the love that brought Jesus to be willing to give his life on the cross. The only thing we know for sure is that true love costs something. And it costs something from the person who loves. Maybe we can see a little bit of this disconnect uh, in, the, in the interchange that Peter had with Jesus after the crucifixion after the resurrection. John 21, 15 through 17 uh, has Jesus and Peter relating to each other. So when they had died, dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He, that is Peter, saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And clearly, the love which Jesus had for Peter was at a completely different level than the love that Peter had for Jesus. We see this because Peter denied Jesus. And the same is true for us this morning. You know, it's easy to cast stones at Peter and say, you know, my love for Jesus is stronger than what Peter's love was. And yet, is it really? Our our love just hasn't been put to the test, has it? Peter's was that night. We know about the difference between agape and phileo love, brotherly love, and and the the self-sacrificial love that Jesus had. And yet we should grow in this, shouldn't we? Jesus said multiple times in John's Gospel that he had the ability to lay down his life and that no one could take it away from him. I was thinking of the song, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness ever me. And I pray this morning as we take the blood, the blood, the, the bread and the cup, that we remember that love that Jesus had for us. And so we come to the why. And the why is me. The why is you. We are not worthy of that. We didn't sing the middle verse of of beneath the cross of Jesus, but it says, beneath the cross of Jesus, my eye at at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of his glorious love and my unworthiness. And if there's one thing that I really feel every time I celebrate communion, it's that I'm not worth the sacrifice. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It was the depths of Jesus' love, love that brought Him to the cross, not because we are so amazing. And so we must remember these three things. The terrible suffering that Jesus went through, his great love for us, and our own unworthiness of this sacrifice. This is not going to lead us to refuse his gift to us, but to value it more, knowing that it was something that we couldn't earn, that we didn't deserve, and it was given to us. Luke 22, 18 through 20 says, And he took the bread and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which was given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you. Our human tendency is to forget. This morning, as we take part in communion, let us remember what Jesus did for us, 
and why he did it. We convey those messages to our children. In this way, we can keep our faith strong and pass it on to future generations.